0: You are listening to episode 35 of the Sunday Shakeout, featuring a practical guide to heart rate training for distance runners. Hello and welcome to the Sunday Shakeout. I am your host, Nicholas. This episode features a helpful guide to heart rate training for distance runners. I will be talking all about the heart rate chest strap, why low heart rate is a good thing but only up to a certain point, the valuable nature of heart rate training for countless reasons, and more. The goal of this episode is to provide athletes and coaches with top notch knowledge on heart rate training so that they can effectively apply it to their training to get faster and ultimately become a better runner. If you are new to the Sunday ShakeOut, this show features guest interviews, training analysis and tips, gear reviews, and more. With tips for beginning, intermediate, and advanced runners alike, listeners will be provided with insightful information that will help them get faster, stay injury-free, and be happy. Heart rate is a fantastic barometer of exercise intensity, as well as many other things that relate to training. Put simply, if you want to be better at running, heart rate should be utilized to its fullest capabilities. In addition to controlling intensity, heart rate is extremely useful to know if you are overtraining or if there are any other red flags that may affect your running performance. An intelligent use of heart rate will take your running to new heights. However, many people make all too common mistakes that I am going to address today, or they fail to use heart rate in a sensible way that is going to benefit their running. Today, I go over all of that and so much more. So, without further ado, please enjoy my guide to heart rate training for distance runners. Okay, so if you want to get better at running, obviously, like I said, you might want to consider heart rate training. It's a fantastic barometer of exercise intensity, as well as many other things that relate to training. The harder your muscles are working, the more oxygen-rich blood is demanded, and therefore the faster your heart beats, so that the more oxygen-rich blood can be delivered to the muscles. Or you know, we could talk all about skin and the demand for oxygen-rich blood to cool it down based on certain temperature, or based on increased exercise intensity. We could go all super deep into physiology, but let's just keep it simple. And heart rate varies in predictable ways along exercise intensity, as well as the fact that it is connected to other physiological processes like the aerobic and anaerobic threshold, or if you don't like those terms, you could use ventilatory threshold 1 and ventilatory threshold 2. So therefore, heart rate is very, very, very useful to monitor and I would highly rec- h- highly recommend it. Now, let's talk about the heart rate chest strap. Straps are the most accurate and reliable way to track heart rate, much more so than looking at your Garmin wrist heart rate. It's also better than the optical sensor that you can put on your bicep, so straps are basically the best means to trap heart, track heart rate. But the biggest tip is to know your heart rate strap there can actually be a little difference in beats between the Garmin heart rate strap and the Polar heart rate strap, even though they are both very reliable. So if you go into the lab for testing, let's say for lactate threshold, and the physiologist has a Polar strap, and then you go train and use the Garmin heart rate strap, there will be a little difference. And when I talk about reliable, I mean when you go out for a run, the straps give you consistent similar results over time. That is what reliable means. So, the straps might both be reliable, but the different kind of straps might give you a 2-3 to three beat difference. This is a minimal difference, but at the same time, it is important. So, wear the same strap. So, if you go to a lab, I mean, I've never actually done lab testing before, I've read all about it. But, if you can, maybe you should bring your own heart rate strap and see if you can use that. Rather than, or yeah, put new batteries in it before going to the lab and go to the lab with the new strap or the your strap rather than using the physiologist strap because it might give you better results i don't know try that out another tip i have is to stop using wrist heart rate seriously don't let don't let wrist heart rate dictate effort or give you insight into whether you had a good day or a bad day you come back from a run and you rely wrist heart rate you rely on wrist heart rate to give you info i mean come on that thing bounces about way too much so don't let wrist heart rate bother you it's totally unreliable and they're the wrist heart rate is miles ahead millions of miles ahead of sorry the chest strap is millions of miles ahead against of uh, wrist heart rate so don't use wrist heart rate uh chest strap is way better now i do want to talk about the optical sensors for the bicep a little bit because they are definitely better than wrist heart rate but they're still not as good as the chest strap in terms of reliability and for females i have heard and read that the chest strap might be a little uncomfortable in the way that it sits on the sports bra it can chafe and it can be really painful so it might be an okay idea to use the optical sensor if that's uncomfortable um if if the uh if the chest strap is uncomfortable so just be careful with the chest strap and and if that's the case um if the chest strap is uncomfortable then obviously maybe you should use the optical optical sensor for the bicep it's not bad it's just not as good as the chest strap so just keep that in mind But overall, if you can handle it, the chest strap wins all day long. And a big tip when it comes to the chest strap is to change your batteries, especially before marathons if you like to use it during races. Otherwise, you might have really, surprisingly, unreliable data because the batteries are low. You might push too hard too early because it gives you unreliable data. And you pay the price later, like most marathoners do in a marathon. Also, wash your strap weekly because, especially if you use it for every run, and for obvious reasons, nobody wants a stinky and really bad strap from a person who has bad hygiene. So just always keep that in mind. But overall, Heart rate is great for me because I am a complete nerd. I I read papers on everything from SMO2 to anaerobic threshold, if anaerobic threshold is false. So, you know, I read all these things and I love data and I love physiology. So if I want to use data, it needs to be accurate. Additionally, I also enjoy the process of tracking progress throughout the training process. I love watching the heart rate go up and down. And I say up hands down because ideally you want your heart rate to come down over time in training at the same paces that's the obvious one but also you want to have the ability to push the heart rate up and that's something that many people don't think about so keep that in mind when you are fit and well trained ideally ideally you are able to push the heart rate up and sustain that high heart rate for longer because you don't need your heart to be low all the time yeah, low heart rate training, it's great because it's connected to all these phys- physiological processes. It's good because you get to train in the zone where you oxidize fat, and you're practicing uh, oxidative fat, um, a whole bunch of mitochondrial benefits and all this stuff. But you don't need your heart rate to be low all the time. It's cool when you're measuring progress and seeing it come down as you get fitter. Maybe you do an easy run, on the same pace, at the same route, and as weeks go by, you notice your heart rate go down. Now that's great, but it's only great if you can push the heart rate up. That's the thing with heart rate training. It's only useful if the heart rate goes down on some of these runs. For example, maybe the heart rate goes down from 150 to 145 on an easy run, but you can still push it up to 150 or 160. But maybe your heart rate is lower than last week, like 140, but you can't push it up because you're tired, then that's not a good thing. So heart rate's really not a good thing if you can't get it up. Then that's likely linked to poor nutrition, overtraining, which we will talk about later. But keep that in mind, it's important to know that a low heart rate isn't always a good thing unless you can still push it up to where you've been capable of previously, and that's when you know your fitness has shifted. That means that there's an energy cost, less energy cost, for speeds that used to be harder, so the heart rate used to be higher, but now is lower, so that's, that's when you know that things are moving forward so i like to measure my heart in my runs i like to measure my heart rate in easy runs threshold runs tempo runs and when i start to add in some vo2 max training some hard hills some interval training i find it much easier to put the push the heart rate up higher so keep an eye on your range yara Nagus wore the optical biceps heart rate sensor for the NBC for NBC just recently when he won the usa track and field outdoor champs for 1500 meters You could go watch that on YouTube, but he wore the optical sensor for the bicep, and at the end of the race, coming down to the home stretch, stretch, the final 100 meters, his heart rate was up to 201 beats per minute. That's like higher than I could get my heart rate up right now. I'm coming back from an injury, and I'm gradually working my way back into it. So it's been kind of slow, and there's no way I can get it up to 201. Likewise, I'm pretty sure that in the base phase of training, when Nagoose is getting back into it, maybe in the fall months, like October through December, and even in January, I bet you that he couldn't even get his heart rate up to 195 if he tried. That's because it's like a lack of training and it's the ability to utilize oxygen so you can push that little bit harder and get that heart rate to go up. Now that takes time and practice and some periodical high intensity training in the right training phases that is how you're going to get your heart rate up higher and that is how you're going to be more successful and so it's worth tracking these things on training peaks or strava it's key at the end of a week's training week or ideally at the end of the training month to track what your average heart rate was for that month during your training obviously assuming that you wore the chest drop the whole time but you know so- talking about heart rate let's talk about altitude training one of the benefits that you get is that your heart rate is 10 to 15 beats higher because you're you know you're going up and down hills, there's less atmos- atmospheric pressure, and overall training is harder. So your heart rate might be 10-5 to 10 beats higher. And assuming that you gradually worked your way into altitude training, I think that a subtle rise of heart rate is great for the fitness. Therefore, if your heart rate is 10 beats lower than it normally is on average over the course of a month, that could mean a lot of things. It could mean that you got fitter, but it could also mean that you didn't work as hard. So that's really cool to look at, and that's one of the reasons why heart rate training is so valuable. But keep in mind that just because you have your zones and a chest strap, that doesn't mean that you should always tune out how you feel. Heart rate doesn't tell the full picture, it doesn't paint the full picture. After all, is the goal of training to hit a certain heart rate value, or is it to subject a certain amount of stress to the body to produce gains? This is just like we talked about earlier with misinterpreting a low heart rate for fitness gains, what it might actually be something more dangerous, more lethal, not lethal, that's more of an or- over exaggeration, but it might be over training. So if you can combine your internal sense of effort, your intelligence in terms of knowing your body and how it's feeling, and the heart rate data, you'll be much better off. Now in terms of heart rate going down compared to other months, you have to determine if it was due to an increase in fitness, or because you weren't working as hard, or even overtraining. And the only way you're going to be able to determine that is through knowing your body as well as using other data. So keep be- So keep that in mind. As far as the HARI data itself goes, it might also be worth looking at things like your 10 minute max, your 20 minute max, your one hour max, your two hour max max, etc. I think training peaks does that sort of thing. But by doing that, you're able to get an insight into how you're training. Excuse me, I'm gonna spit out my gum here. Alright, spat out my gum, sorry. <laughs> so Essentially, it might be a good idea to look at different maxes for 10 minute max, 20 minute max, etc. And by doing that, you'll get an insight into how you're training. Are you still capable of handling those higher heart rates like you used to be? Now, some of it's mental, but it totally comes down to fitness. That takes a little bit of time to build with high intensity sessions in the competition phase and the late pre-competition phase of training. But if you can do more sessions over time, you might see that you have the ability to push your heart rate up higher. So heart rate adds a new element to training. But I also enjoy not wearing the heart rate strap and just going out with the clock face while running on some of my recovery runs. But even then, heart rate might be valuable during easy and recovery runs. For example say i'm going for a five mile easy run today a recovery run and i'm not gonna let the heart rate go above 150 which is probably like recovery for me although that might be high for other people but maybe i keep the run really really easy by doing this it takes the pressure off to perform and it's just a really nice really easy run so that can make heart rate really beneficial even in those easy recovery runs so let's talk about some things that affect heart rate At some point when you're doing high-intensity sessions, the heart rate might not go up. And you know that it's not because of the fitness, because you have been training regularly and consistently. And because you know it's not because of fitness, it could either be because of poor nutrition or fatigue. So if you're doing the threshold, you might have a threshold heart rate of 170, but your heart rate is only 160 even though you're running fast. It's not a good sign because you know you're overworking. Some people might confuse that with the heart rate being low and I'm just running really fast. But it's only good if you feel in control in terms of effort. If the effort feels off, it's probably be- probably because of bad nutrition or fatigue. Now this happens a lot in the Tour de France. In the first few stages the heart rate might be up to about 190 even for some of these riders but as the tour continues the riders get more and more fatigued and depleted of glycogen and their max in the later stages of the tour might only be 165 so that's important to keep in mind as over time you might be more fatigued and more depleted of glycogen which can be a really bad thing and that can show in your heart rate. Now, this can also be the same for poor hydration, it can be the same for overtraining, so when you're really starting to struggle to get the heart rate up, that is a problem. Furthermore, the muscles store glycogen, which must be broken down into glucose and be be metabolized and used for energy purposes. The brain, the boss, uses glucose as energy mainly. So when it notices that there are low levels of glycogen in the body overall, it starts to mitigate the breakdown of glycogen in other parts of the body so that it can get its glucose. So it essentially tells the legs, hey, I need glucose so that I can function. It tells the legs not to use as much glucose That way, there can be more for the brain. So the breakdown of glycogen gets reduced by the brain, which reduces the catecholamine secretion. Catecholamines, by the way, are just neurohormones. 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 Here, we should actually Google how to say neurohormone, because I don't think I know how to say it. I'm probably saying it right, I just don't really know. Neurohormone. Alright. How do you say it? Neurohormone. 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 Nor, neuro, neuro, we're going to cut this out, okay. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry about that, my bad. Okay, so let's get back to the uh, the episode here. So essentially what I was talking about is the breakdown of glycogen, it gets reduced by the brain, which reduces the catecholamine secretion, which are neurohormones. And the collateral effect of that is the heart rate is contracted by the catecholamines, namely epinephrine, which is a type of catecholamine. And epinephrine is essentially just adrenaline, and we all know what adrenaline is, our heart rate races, that feeling, often butterflies in our stomach, that sort of thing. So the heart rate might be 15 beats lower at high intensities because there aren't enough catecholamines. And this is a sign that the muscles are already reducing glycogen breakdown, probably because there isn't enough glycogen. And this is a sign of poor nutrition and overtraining. Because at high intensity, glucose is metabolized as energy. That glucose comes from glycogen, but there might not be enough replenishment of glucose. That is linked to not enough carbs and nutrition, so your glycogen tank gets lower and lower. So if you have a low heart rate that you aren't able to push up in high intensity sessions, even though you are working hard, that's when you need to turn around and go home. Hopefully in the next session you will feel better, so don't force it that day. Back off. You might even have to skip that day, because if you fall into this vicious cycle, it can be detrimental. It'll end up holding you back. So just go home, get some good rest and carbs and come back the next day and fight another day. Now that I'm done with that tangent about neuro hormones, let's get back to things that affect heart rate. The first thing that I want to talk about is temperature. Uh, Temperature will definitely affect heart rate. If it's cold, it can be very difficult to get the heart rate up. And when this is important to note is in training, when you are trying to hit a certain heart rate, let's say you're doing threshold. So you want to, instead of trying to hit that threshold exactly, if it's cold, you want to bring the heart rate down about 5 beats. If the threshold is normally 170, bring it down to 165 and that has a big effect. So be careful with that and set off in these colder threshold workouts or whatever workout when you need to hit a heart rate. You need to set out in these workouts with a lower heart rate than normal. Conversely, when the temperature is warmer, your body is having to work harder to cool itself down, thus the heart rate goes up. So when it's cold, the heart rate doesn't have to do that, at least, okay, let's back up. I said that when the heart rate is cold, the the heart rate doesn't have to cool itself off or increase in beats so that there's less demand from the skin so that it doesn't have to cool itself down. I could probably look at my Jack Daniels book and it'd probably give me the information, but I'm just assuming that in the hot conditions, there's more demand for oxygen-rich blood so that the skin can be cooled down so that it can maintain a certain temperature because of the hot climate or increasing exercise intensity so then when it's cooler there's less demand for oxygen rich blood so the heart rate doesn't have to increase that's what i think happens i'm not completely sure don't take my word for it if you need to fact fact check me in the comments down below don't be afraid to do that but that's what i think but when it's colder for sure lower the heart rate at least three to four beats but i'd say even around five is pretty good and that will keep the effort right And like I said, if it's warm, the heart rate is higher, so if the threshold is 170, the heart rate might actually need to be 172, 173 at threshold, but the effort might be the same. But in those workouts, just be patient and work your way up slowly when it's hot and tread carefully. Just know that when it's hot and humid, the heart rate will be up higher. And another thing to note is that the heart rate can take 10 to 15 minutes to get up to a steady heart rate that you can maintain for that effort and that is called the bore shift if 8 to 10 minutes into a marathon your heart rate is 160 and you keep the same effort or even in training you keep the you keep running on the same flat ground, the same pace, the same weather. You will notice that over the next 10 to 15 minutes, your heart rate will gradually rise. And you have to pre-plan for that rise. As you are fitter, it might not rise as much, but still five to seven beats. And this rise just happens. If you keep the effort and the speed the same, the heart rate will gradually just rise. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that during a sustained tempo, you can't, in the first five minutes of a 30 to 40 minute tempo, be at 160 heart rate if your goal for that run was to be at 160 heart rate. Instead, I mean, otherwise you will just go up five to seven beats. That means that if at 160 heart rate, that'll likely be 165, 167, and which means that'll be like high end of threshold. So you have to prepare for this rise in heart rate. You have to set off at a heart rate that is five to seven beats lower than what you would normally think. And, you know, 20, 30 minutes into a run, you will thank yourself. So give the heart rate time for where you want it to be. And, you know, you might know for a marathon that you might be able to maintain 170 heart rate, but if you try to hit 170 heart rate within the first mile, then within 5 to 7 miles it's going to be up to 175 and you'll be paying the price paying the price later. So the slower you can bring the heart rate up, the longer you will be able to maintain it for. And if you're patient and gradually bring the heart rate up and you give your body the your muscles and your heart enough time, you can usually sustain the effort for longer and that is key. So that's that's the big part there. Now in terms of physiology, let's talk about oxygen debt. So, you know, when, when we're talking about you know bringing the heart rate up too high we're really talking about oxygen debt and bringing the lactate up too high for oxygen debt, sorry <coughs> i got a lot of spit today but for oxygen debt the heart rate can't suddenly go up from 120 to 160 instantaneously but if you put the effort in the speed demand to 160 because the heart rate might be at 130 because it can't get there quick enough well you'll go into debt then that debt is repaid by fatigue, waste, lactate, tiredness, and you know all that bad stuff. So overall buy the strap, start using it, train the way you have been training, find some patterns in training. Where does your heart rate go in intervals? Where is it at in easy runs? Does it drift as the easy run goes on? Does it drift 5 beats, 10 beats, 20 beats? In a couple of weeks time is it more stable? So keep an eye on it. And I would also recommend doing some heart rate tests go to the track. Do 5 or 6 by 2k or 5 or 6 by 1 mile. If you know your marathon pace, start that first 2k or 1 mile 30 to 60 seconds slower than the marathon pace. Do the 1 mile at that pace and at the end of that mile, write down the stats and do it at an even pace too. Don't be throwing the heart rate and lactate around. For example, if your marathon pace is, you know, right at 3 hour pace, like 6.52 per mile, then, you know, you want to be even, even or you know let's look up what's what's uh so 652 what would that be that would probably be something like i don't know i couldn't calculate not in 400s but overall just keep the 400s even don't be throwing the heart rate and lactate around and always use the same place for that test that is key We don't want to be going to the track and then be going to a road in Flagstaff and then go back to Sierra Nevada and use all this stuff. We want to be using the the same place every time. That way you can get consistent, accurate results. So as the reps go on, per mile or every mile, you pick it up 20 to 30 seconds and you do this again and again and again and go to the point where the last mile is pretty tough. Not all out, but pretty tough. Record perceived exertion every time, so go out of 10, and hopefully the final one is around 8.5 to 9 out of 10. If your scale is wrong, if you did the scale wrong, and you get a 9 after only the third rep, then that's okay. Just start easier next time and maybe jump maybe 15 seconds per mile instead of 30 seconds. Check the average heart rate for each mile, and the heart rate max for each mile, and write down the RPE. Every four to five weeks, come back to this test to see if things improve and maybe you want to do this test 10 days before a race as well. Maybe you do this test 10 days before a race, write down the results and depending on how the race goes, you write down the results next to that test or you write down the race results next to the test and in the future you have these tests, these checkpoints that you can do, and they have relevance because you raced. For example, during that test, maybe at 630 per mile, my average heart rate might have been like 150, and my max was 154. Then, a week later, I went on to run a 10K PB a week later, and now my rate of perceived exertion is a lot lower, my heart rate is lower, the next time I go in around to race. So it might look like I might race a 10k pb in a week's time. So that's a cool thing to start doing. Another test you can do is have a 30 to 40 minute loop. And say to yourself, the heart rate's not allowed to go above mid to high threshold. That test on the track is looking good. The miles, the 2k's are looking good. So now let's have a field test. Let's take it to the field. So let's pick a tough loop with hills and all the rest. And then you can cross compare. Now that my track stuff is looking good, I wonder if that will convert to a 6-7 to seven mile effort in one go. See how you will do in that day, what held you back, did your heart rate rise, did you have to slow down a bit so it didn't go up? That means in the future, when you do that track test and your miles have improved that much, then you can do the 6-7 or seven mile test and you find that your speed nor heart rate didn't actually improve. So maybe your track test improved, but your miles didn't really improve, But you were able to sustain the speed way better it was a lot more even than it was last time well then you know that something improved you improved how long you could sustain the threshold heart rate at the certain pace so even though it might not look at it look like it you sometimes have to dig deeper to see that you actually did get better now i want to talk briefly about resting heart rate here in the morning especially actually yeah only in the morning in this case Um, But resting heart rate is still a great way to see if you're overtraining, even though it is way overlooked, I I think, by a lot of people. A lot of people think, oh, resting heart rate, that's just old conventional wisdom, it's wrong. But actually, resting heart rate can be very valuable because, again, heart rate is a great physiological barometer. So in the morning, put on your watch, maybe you have your watch on before you get out of bed, which is ideal, or even do a pulse check. See what your resting heart rate is, and find a baseline resting heart rate for you. For example, in my case, I might wake up and my resting heart rate is 50-54 to beats per minute, which is pretty typical for me. But all of a sudden, one day, I wake up and my heart rate is 65. That day, something might not be right. Some days I might be tired from the previous day, or I might even be incubating a virus. Because remember, there's sometimes, especially with all this COVID stuff, there's been all this stuff where it's about, oh, it takes like seven to f- one to two weeks for the virus to like pop up, even though you've already, or I mean, like the incubation period is seven to ten days. So if you notice that your heart rate is out of whack, it might be because you're incubating a virus. Well, why should you rely on heart rate to tell you if you're incubating a virus? I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but again, Heart rate is a very good physiological barometer, so it reacts during the incubation period because it knows there's something that's going on. So maybe that day, if your heart rate's a little bit higher than normal, a little bit higher than baseline, go out there and be fully aware of the sensations if you don't feel good. if In that situation, if you feel bad, turn around immediately and go home. And that is the contrary to what most people do. Oh, I have threshold today, so I have to crank it out no matter what and push through it. I have to be a tough guy. That is often not the smartest decision because you're often over training and that is just going to make you make it worse and it's going to dig the hole deeper and eventually you will blow up in your training, It it messes with you psychologically, and we don't want that. So dial it back a little bit and keep the ball rolling. Even if you have to take a few days off due to a virus, it's better than pushing the day and having to take a few weeks off from a virus. So this is why heart rate is a great sign your resting heart rate when you wake up, your heart rate on the run, then the sensations, so turn around, go home, tomorrow, try again. So if you're struggling to get your heart rate up in workouts, like threshold or intervals, that means that you are tired or that you have poor nutrition. So go home, relax, eat carbohydrates. And tomorrow, you might feel like a million bucks because the heart rate might be responsive again and you will have a better heart rate during workouts and a better baseline heart rate when you wake up. So yeah, I guess that's all I got, but yeah. Thanks, I guess. Thank you for listening to episode 35 of the Sunday ShakeOut. I hope this episode was very informative about heart rate training for runners. Today wasn't so much about zone training, because I know zone training is a big topic, and, you know, how do you calculate your zones, all that. We didn't really go over, like, the lactate threshold test, which you might see if you read 80-20 running. They recommend a threshold test in the in the little section about heart rate, We'll do that another weekend. We'll talk about um, we'll talk about heart rate zones, zone training another weekend. But if you want to learn more about that threshold test, you can probably look up an article about Matt Fitzgerald and the threshold tests uh, for lactate threshold. Or, of course, you could also support this podcast, which I highly recommend you do. And you listen to episode, I think it's episodes 14 and 15, maybe it's 15 and 16 of the Sunday ShakeOut. I talk about all about lactate threshold there. One of them is about, you know, the science of threshold aerobic threshold and anaerobic threshold the other one is all about i think it's about how to apply threshold to your training and i i think that one has the test so go listen to that one because you know you want to you know you want to subscribe to this podcast it's just been there you've been listening to it so stop stalking and start following this podcast no but seriously if you really enjoyed this episode of the sunday shakeout please consider following to or subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. I would also greatly appreciate a review in Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you find your podcasts, and yeah, that's all I gotta say. If you have any questions regarding anything running, you can feel free to reach out to me at thesundayshakeout at gmail.com, and I will get back to you as soon as humanly possible, literally, like, faster than Usain Bolt. Trust me, totally, And also, I also really appreciate your guys' comments in the, in the, in the comment section down below, in the polls, all that stuff. I hope that I'm becoming a better podcaster. If you have any feedback for me, how I can get better, you know, always leave that in the comments down below. I'm not afraid. I don't, I'm not, I'm not afraid of criticism. So as long as it's not like silly, I mean, if that's the case, then I just won't pin you, but whatever. And yeah, peace out. This is a Sunday shakeout. Have a good weekend, y'all. Peace out. This is the Sunday shakeout.